right? Here we go. So let's stand in honor of God's word. Let's all stand. And let's read this together. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of their sins. Okay, sit down. <laughs> Thank you. Okay, so communion, holy communion with the Lord is actually when Jesus said those words, this is the blood of the covenant. That Okay, you got to listen to this because this is so, so important. The Lord wants, when he went to the Last Supper with his disciples, right? We all know that. It was the Last Supper. He was going to be going to be crucified and give his life. He was going to be broken for our brokenness. He was going to be crucified and give his blood for our salvation, our redemption. So he calls his disciples that he had been ministering to for three years. They've been brothers together, and, and they've been, he's been ministering to them every day. And he calls them to the Last Supper and the miracles that he did, right, Ephraim, when they were getting ready to prepare the room and they had to go and, and they saw um, a man with a pot on his head and, you know, there's all these miracles that go along with the story um, that the Lord had set it up for this special time. And listen, this is what it was. This is what it was. It was the marriage supper. It was the marriage supper. Because those words, this is my blood of the covenant. Those words were said in ancient Jewish religious times, right? The Jews before Jesus, when they would have a wedding supper. When they, would, when they would get engaged, the they would sit down to a supper, right? Just like the Last Supper. And the father would take a glass of wine and he would hand it to his son. And his son would take the glass of wine and he would present it to his future bride, who are we to Christ? We are his bride. He has come. He came to this earth for his bride. It says he wants a pure and spotless bride. He came because the representation of a husband and a wife is that two become one. And he came because he created us so that we would be one with him. And he did it through the marriage covenant. In God's eyes, the marriage covenant is forever. It's never ending like eternity. It's forever. And when they, when the Jewish people would 
go and they'd have the supper with the family and the father would give the glass of wine to the son and the son would give it to his wife and he'd say this is my blood of the new covenant he would say those words and that's what jesus these these disciples they knew what he was saying because they had heard it at many a wedding celebration they knew he was saying, will you be my bride? Will you be my love? He was saying this, and he went a step further because he literally was going to be giving his blood. Can you imagine? Like, this is what we have to realize. This is what he's saying. And then he said in the word, because we've preached it and preached it. Do it again. Do it again. Do it in remembrance of me. Do it in remembrance of me. Because I want to be your husband. I want to be your provider. I want to love you. I want to take care of you. I want to protect you. I want to give you all of me, and I want you to give me all of you. That's what Jesus said to his disciples. He knew that the final time was coming where he was going to lay down. He was going to become the sacrificial lamb. He was going to bleed out, literally, and give his life for us. And he was saying to his people, he was saying, will you be my bride? Will you be the bride of Christ? And that's what he says to us every time we do communion. He's reminding us, I am your husband in the sense of the word of husband. I will take care of you. I will love you. Will you give yourself to me? And um, I just, it's so amazing to me and it is so touching to me because so many times uh, we feel like the unworthy wife. We feel like the wife that is not worthy to take the husband. And um, I wanted to read to you, if I can find it, and if I can't, I'll just let it go. Okay, so I'm going to read this to you. This, this was written by Martin Luther, okay? And um, Martin Luther was, um, a man, he was a priest. He was uh, the man who was actually responsible for the Protestant faith. And he broke off from the Catholic Church at the time because... Uh, the Catholic Church was going through some issues at the time, and they were becoming very controlling, and uh, they were saying you had to have salvation by works, and then you had to pay for it. And Martin Luther was one of the people that God called out. He wasn't perfect. He wasn't a perfect man. He actually has a history of being like a stubborn, angry, prejudiced man. <laughs> 
But that to all of us, we're all like that, right? We all have our weaknesses. We all have our failures. We all have the things about us that we want to hide. Like the times we get so angry that, you know, we scream at our kids or we scream at our husband or we, you know, you, who wants to give a testimony of all the bad things you do? <laughs> Come on, do you? No, no. But this is the thing. Jesus came to be our husband no matter what we were like. It isn't what we did as, as um, a wife. It is what he does for us. He provides everything. The grace, the mercy, the forgiveness. He took our sin, all of it, every sin you've ever done. Everything you've ever done or will do, he took upon him at the cross so that you could be forgiven by receiving that. And this is what Martin Luther wrote about the wedding ring of faith. When we come into communion with the Lord, he says, by the wedding ring of faith, he, Jesus, shares in the sins, death, and pains of hell, which are his brides. The sin, death, and pains of hell, which are his bride, which is the church. The people who've decided I'm following Christ. He takes all their pain, all their death, all their sin, Martin Luther wrote as his very first image to explain the good news of the gospel. And this is what he wrote. As a matter of fact, Christ makes our sin his own. Here, this rich and divine bridegroom, Christ, marries this poor, wicked harlot and redeems her from all her evil. He marries Christ when he died on the cross. It was his marriage, his, his preparation for our marriage to him where he would take all of our sin, all of it, all of our harlotry. Our harlotry represents our giving ourselves to things that are not of God. How many times do we do that in a day? Give ourselves to something that isn't of God. But he took that. He took it. This perfect bridegroom, he took that sin. He took all of it. And he redeems her from all her evil. And then he adorns her with all his goodness. Guys, that's the gospel. That is what the gospel is. That's the good news. It doesn't matter what kind of failure we are. We could be the worst sinner in the world. It doesn't matter. He died for us. And all we have to do is receive that love, the love of the marriage supper the love of the blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many,
for the forgiveness of sin. Can you imagine Jesus going to the cross knowing that he was taking all of that on him. He was going to take it. He was going to have the victory over it, over death and sin. That's what it says in the word. Can you imagine? And here we sit in this little room with our little cups and our little wafers. But this is what he says. Do this in remembrance of me, right? So then he adorns her with all his goodness. He pours his goodness over each one of us. And he makes us good. Don't look at your sin. Don't look at your failures. Don't look at your falling down. Don't look and say, oh, I'm terrible. I'm just so terrible. Just look to the cross. Look to Jesus. Right now, look to him and let him pour his goodness all over you like a brand new white pure wedding dress. And it doesn't matter how many lovers you've had. It doesn't matter how you have turned away from God or how you're angry at God or none of that matters. He's like, come to me. I will be your husband. I will cover you. I will cover you. And it says her, her sins cannot now destroy her since they are laid upon Christ and swallowed up by him. Her sins cannot destroy her. You know what, guys? How many people say, I don't have to go to church anymore. I don't need to go to church. And church is not a building. Church is the people of God coming together for the anointing. It doesn't matter. The Lord says where two or more are gathered together, that's church. Where two, it could be on the beach. Who want, uh, Julia, you want church to be on the beach? Yeah. It could be in the barn. It could be anywhere. It could be in space, Ephraim. We could have church in space. (laughs) And he says where we gather together in his name, then he and we do this thing. This is what church is, guys. This is what church is, remembering him, remembering what he's done, remembering how he has covered you, he has forgiven you. You can walk out of here with your head up, And looking up to the sky, right? Don't put your head down looking to the ground and all like, oh, woe is me. No. Your your bridegroom, he has given his life for you. Your bridegroom, Jesus, he has made you a mighty man and a mighty woman of God. His children. We have his DNA. And guess what? When we eat this little wafer that is like a blue piece of plastic, it doesn't matter. You know what? If you're home and you're listening to this, you take a cracker and you take some juice. Let's have communion together. Because when we partake of his body 
represented by the bread and his blood represented by the wine or the juice. Guess what? He comes into us. He becomes a part of us. He becomes a part of our DNA. Why? Because he created us for that. Isn't that amazing? And then he created, he spent three years teaching his disciples. And it all, and you know, we look to the cross. He had to do that by himself. He died and bled and gave his life by himself. But before that, he brought every one of his loved ones to the supper table, to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And they partook together. And we're going to partake today together. And guess what? Very soon, we are going to partake together again with Jesus when he comes back because he said he's not going to drink of the fruit of the vine again until he comes back. Right? He's coming back, guys. He's coming back for this group, for us. He's coming back. So we today, we stand in honor of God and we take that bread. Let's hold it up. Let's hold it up in the name of Jesus. Hold up the bread. (laughs) Hold it up. Yes. Amen. Jesus, thank you for the body of Christ. Thank you for your brokenness, for our brokenness, that we could be healed And we proclaim healing to come out of our hands. That we would have healing hands. The healing hands of Christ. That when we lay hands on people by faith. Because of your brokenness. They will be healed. Do it Lord. Do it. We pray for it this morning. And God we thank you for your body. Broken for us. Let's break it together and partake. And let the miracle of holy communion Kononia take place, or let's see, Kononia, one of those. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father, for the body of Christ coming into us right now, Lord, by this miracle of communion. Hallelujah. Heal our bodies. Make us agents of your healing. Father God, as we become one with you through remembering you through communion. And then we lift up the blood. We lift up the blood to you together in this little congregation of powerful believers meant to be powerful on this earth. You were born for such a time as this, guys. You were born for such, say that, I am born for such a time as this. That's what was said to Queen Esther when she saved all her people from being destroyed. And that's what God has for us with this blood, with this blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. We thank you for the blood, Jesus, as we partake together. Just lift a hand up to the Lord. Just one hand, just lift it up to the Lord. Father, fall upon this people. Fall upon this people. Your 
your bride, the bride of Christ. We thank you, God, that as we remember you through Holy Communion with you, as we remember you, as we join with you, Father, as you actually come into our physical body and our spiritual body, Lord, we pray that we would just become your faithful wife, the bride of Christ, waiting and preparing for the return. Lord, help us to fill our lamps this week. Help us to fill our lamps and to be ready and to get ready and to get everyone ready that we can. Lord, we just praise you and we thank you for the miracles, the miracles that you're going to do. Miracles. We pray, God, in the name of Jesus. And we bless you forever, Jesus. Amen. Wait. Okay. Wait. One second. Because this was confirmation. <laughs> Sorry, guys. But I felt like I was opening the word because I was looking for the scripture where it said he wrote the, our names on his hand. And I opened to this scripture and I thought, I better read this. Ready? This is Isaiah 54. Verse five, starting with verse five. We'll see if Joe gets it up there. Isaiah fifty-four, verse five. Let's read it together. This is confirmation of the word that the Lord showed me this morning about communion and Him being our husband. Okay. So look, those are the little secret signs you have to look for. This is how God will speak to you. And this week, I want you every day, I want you every day to open your word up randomly. You know what I do? I turn it all around, I turn it upside down, because Chris always says it's book memory when it opens to the same page, right? So I try to show them that it's not. And this is what I want you to do. And then you open it up and read the page and see what God says to you. Do that every day. That's my challenge for the week. Because here is the word he gave in confirmation to being his bride. Let's read together. For your maker is your husband. The Lord Almighty is his name. The Holy One of Israel is your Redeemer. He is called the God of all the earth. And now six, Joe. I think, yep. That's, yep. The Lord will call you back as if you were a wife deserted and distressed in spirit, a wife who married young only to be rejected, says your God. That's who we are without Christ. That's who we are without Christ. 
Okay, and um, seven, verse seven, Joe. For a brief moment, I abandoned you, but with deep compassion, I will bring you back. That was God's promise to us that he fulfilled when he sent Jesus to come and to give his life so that he could take us in as his bride, okay? Miracles, guys. This is, this is supernatural. Miracles, take it into your life, take it into your heart, and let it come back out. Come back out through your mouth, your thoughts, your hands, and what you do. Live for Christ. Live for Christ. Let his love consume you, okay? All right, amen. Amen, huh? Amen. We're going to take up an offering. Father, I thank you and I praise you for this day. I praise you for this blessings that you've poured out upon us. I praise you for your hands that are always there to lead and guide us and for your Holy Spirit that is always there to fill us. I pray for uh, this day. I pray your blessings upon us. I pray that you would bless the work of our hands, Lord God, and I pray that you would bless your people today as we give to you into your kingdom. And we just pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. That was a great communion, huh? God is our husband. Amen. God's command to us are to believe and to love. And Joe, we're going to start with 1 John 3, 2, 3. And this is his command, to believe in the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he has commanded us. We must believe. John 3.18 says, Whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe stands condemned already. Because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. And 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 1, I believe through 4, says, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge and have a faith that can move a mountain, but have not love, I have nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames, but have not love, I gain nothing. This morning as I was preparing
the message, I was thinking again about how close we are to the coming of Jesus Christ, to the coming of Jesus' return. And thinking about how we should be living. And my role or responsibilities as a pastor, a father, a husband, a grandfather, a friend, of getting you guys all ready for that day. And I have to give my wife a lot of credit because of our morning discussions that we have almost every morning. You see, husbands, your wife is a helpmate, a gift from God. Amen? Amen. And we all know that Jesus is coming back. He's coming back soon. Amen? Amen. Amen. He's coming back soon. And you know I love preaching on the end times. And I preach on it constantly. Because I believe we're in the end times. And I know that his return is imminent. But when I open up my Bibles, like my wife said this morning, when I just flipped my Bible open, and there it was before me, was this scripture verse. 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 through 17. It says this, Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, the cravings of sinful man, the lust of the eyes, and the boasting of what he has and does comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away. But the man who does the will of God lives forever. One of the hardest lessons that I've ever learned and I still am learning is finding out exactly what that will of God is. What is the will of God? For my life, for my family's life, for the church. It's not an easy thing because you constantly want to be in the will of God. If you love God, you want to be in God's will. Amen? Amen? You want to please your father. There's nothing greater than having your father look at you and say, wow, I'm proud of you. You've done a great job. Keep up the good work. That's what you want to hear from your father. So when I hear words like what Jesus has commanded us to do, to believe, to believe in Jesus and to love, I think, well, that's how I get in his will. Isn't it? That's how I get into his will. I get into his will by not loving the world, but loving God and loving others. By believing and not doubting. By believing his word. Amen? Amen. 
and by having it in my heart, hidden in there. Because I have a belief and a respect and a love for my Father. Amen? I think of a road map. When I hear scripture verses like that, what God has commanded us to do, I think of it as a road map that God has laid out for us to follow. So that we can stay on track. So we don't get lost. You know, I don't know about you, but I've been on road trips before where we've taken the wrong turn and we got off track or GPS isn't working and it's like recalculating, recalculating, recalculating. And here you are, you're like desperate to know where you're at because you're in the middle of nowhere. You got to get off this two-lane road and get back on the highway. And that's how we want to be with God. Because the devil will try to get you off those side roads where you get lost out in the country in the middle of nowhere and pretty soon you got no reception and you can't find your way back. <clears throat> but God says, no, I've got a map. I've laid it all out for you. And these, if you do these things, it'll be all right with you. If you do these things, you'll be all right. You'll make it. You'll make it to your destiny. And these things are what he's commanded us to do. Number one is to believe. Amen? To believe. Number two is to love. You do those two things and it'll be all right with you. You know, I love preaching on the end times, but I think everybody knows that we're in the end times. Everybody knows that Jesus is returning. We need to be learning, okay, so we know God is coming back. So if God is coming back, what should we be doing? How should we be living? What roadmap should we be following? Right? These are the instructions that we need to get. Right? Because we all want to end up in the same, at the same destination. And that's heaven. Amen? We don't want to be lost. We don't want to get tossed to and fro. In the end times, it says that Antichrist will come. Multitudes, many Antichrists have come and are already here. And many of them are right behind pulpits every Sunday morning. So you got to be careful. And you got to believe. And you got to test everything that you hear with the Word of God to make sure it's the Word of God. So you're not deceived. Because there are many people that are very persuasive in their arguments. But that's why you cannot waver from this word. That's why you cannot waver from what God has commanded us to do. To believe the Bible. And the Bible makes it clear that who shall ever believe in Jesus will share in eternity with him. And all those that have gone before him that have believed. The Bible makes that perfectly clear that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life that no man or woman can get to heaven any other way. He is the way. We have to believe that. We have to believe in Him. 
though we haven't seen him. You know, in John chapter 20, verse 9, Jesus is talking to Thomas. And Thomas was doubting the disciples. He said, I don't believe any word you say unless I can put my hands and fingers into the wounds of Jesus. I'm not going to believe you. So what does Jesus do? He appears to Thomas. <laughs> Doesn't he? And you know, we're like Thomas. In a lot of ways. Many people doubt. Have you ever doubted anything in your life? I sure have doubted many things in my life. Many people doubt of Jesus' return because they've been hearing about Jesus' return for a long time. They say, well, he hasn't come yet. You say he's coming, but he hasn't come yet. And that's the truth. He hasn't come yet. But I tell you the truth, too. He is coming. Amen. You know, he hasn't come yet. He is coming. But we need to be ready for that unexpected day when he does come. Because Jesus is going to come on a day that we don't expect. It says it'll be like the days of Noah. People will be marrying, eating, and drinking. And going through life like every other day. That's how it's going to be when Jesus returns. So Jesus is like saying to Thomas. He says, Thomas. And I like role playing this stuff in my mind. I can see Jesus talking to Thomas. Thomas, come on. Thomas, look at You believe in me, Thomas, because you've seen me. Not only have you seen me, but Thomas, you put your fingers in my wounds. You, you know, you put your fingers where the nails were in my hands, where the sword went in my side. You've not only seen my wounds, but you've touched my wounds. And you've touched me since I've resurrected from the dead. After being buried in the grave for three days. Just like I've said I was going to do. Thomas, you've seen me. But Thomas, what about those who haven't seen me? What about those that didn't see me in the flesh like you've seen me in the flesh? What about those... That, that believe in me, but haven't touched my wounds. He says, Thomas, blessed, blessed are those that believe in me. Even though they've never seen me, but they believe in me. God calls us blessed. We all here believe in Jesus, amen? All of us. Do you believe? God calls you blessed. You are blessed. 
You are blessed above all things. There is going to be a blessing upon you when you get to heaven because you have not seen Jesus in the flesh. You have not put your hands in his womb. But yet you believe. You believe because of God's word. You believe because of the testimony of the saints that went throughout the generation to generation to generation speaking of the good news of Jesus Christ who died for your sins. You believed because you want, you want to be in heaven with Jesus. And you believe that he died for you and he rose again for you. And that his blood was shed for you. You believe. And you will be blessed. So Lord, I wrote down, help us to believe. Help us to hold on to that belief. Help us never to doubt what you've done. Many people have fallen away from Christianity because they start doubting. Because Jesus has been a long time coming. Jesus has been a long time. It's been thousands of years. Thousands of years. And what I'm saying to you is that we have to be ready. Because that day will come. It might come in our lifetime. It might come tonight. It could come tomorrow. It could come next week, next month, next year. It could come 10 years from now. We still have to be ready at all times because we don't know. We don't know when he will come. No one knows the day or the hour, nor the angels, nor the sun. Only the Father in heaven knows the day. So if anybody comes and tells you, I know when Jesus is coming back. No, you don't know. You don't know. Because no one knows. Only the Father knows. When somebody comes up to you and says, I'm the Jesus. I am Jesus, the one they've been talking about. No, you're not him. Because he's coming back on a white horse. And we'll be all raptured and gone. He's going to send a trumpet sound with a blast. And we'll be all caught up with him in the sky. When people say they're the Messiah and they can perform miracles, signs. No, you're not the Messiah. There will be many false Christs. Many false messiahs. Many false teachers out there the Bible tells us about. Many will come in my name, it says, proclaiming that I am the Messiah, that I am the Son of God. And they will deceive many. And they will be able to perform miracles and signs. But you know, it makes me think of Moses' day. You know, some of Moses' magicians perform miracles and signs too. That's why you need to test everything with the Word of God. And that's why you need to know the Word of God. So you're not deceived. You need to believe in the Word of God. And not doubt it. And you need to believe Jesus' Word when He promises us that He is coming back. He is coming back. 
We need to believe that. What we need to be doing, though, is living the way he commands us to live. Amen? Amen. And that's what we need to be teaching and preparing people for. It's teaching them how to live. I wrote down here, all of us must believe in what Christ did for us. He went to the cross for our sins. He rose on the third day, and now he sits at the right hand of the Father, pleading our case before him. Do you know Jesus' second command to us is to love. To love one another and to do everything in love. Because without love, it just accounts for nothing. It accounts for nothing. Whatever you do, if you do it without love, it accounts for nothing. It's easy to do things for your family, out of love, out of for your friends, for your wife, your husband. But for somebody outside of the family, it's not as easy, is it? For a stranger who you do not know. <clears throat> if we go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4, this is what it says about love. This is the love chapter. It says, love is patient. Patience. That's hard, isn't it, sometimes? Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Never give up, never surrender, huh? <laughs> always perseveres. When I read these things, I think of all of the work that I need to still work on within my life. All the work that I need to have that needs to be done inside of me. Because being perfectly honest with you, I have failed probably at every one of those things at different times in my life, if not on a daily basis. It just reminds me of how much more I've got to go, how much more I've got to learn, how I've got to let God work in my life and in my own heart. So that when the day he shows up unexpectedly, I'm ready. I wrote down here, God help me. I need your Holy Spirit. We need your Holy Spirit. 
because I failed at these things at certain times. I need your love. I want to learn to love like that. I want to love like that. I want to love like Christ. I want to be patient. I want to be kind. I don't want to be envious. I don't want to boast. I don't want to be proudful, nor rude, or self-seeking. All those things I fail at daily. I can be impatient. I can be unkind. Envious, boastful, proud, rude. Seeking for myself and not for others. I can be easily angered. I can keep records of wrongs. Boy, that's a big one, isn't it? Keeping records of wrongs. There's nothing like when you're in an argument when you bring up somebody's faults. Huh? Because you haven't let go or you haven't forgiven them. Huh? Or you don't believe that Jesus' blood has washed away all his sins. Do you know, <clears throat> we had that terrible shooting up in Buffalo. And I was listening to Family Life Network this week. And they were talking about, they were talking to one of the widows who lost her husband in that shooting. And she was on there and she, and she was being interviewed. And she said, I have to forgive him. I have to forgive my husband's murderer or killer. I have to forgive him. And the, and the guy was shocked. And he goes, you have to forgive him already? It was only like a day after, two days after the incident or the shooting up there. She's like, I have to forgive him. I cannot let bitterness take root or unforgiveness take root in me. I was amazed when I heard that. Keep no record of wrongs. We have to believe if you're a new Christian in Christ, then all those sins have been washed away. All of them. No matter what you've done, no matter who you've hurt, God can change your heart. And God can cleanse your heart. And God can wash all those things away. Amen. Amen. Love always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres, always perseveres. Now that is how we should be living. We should be living, believing in Jesus and what he's done and in his word and in loving. Not only that, we should be living that way, but God's commanded us as his followers, as his believers, to live that way. Amen? Amen. 
So this week I wrote down, let us be aware, help, pray that God would help us to be aware of how we should be living, how we should be responding, how we should be reacting. Amen? Because a lot of times it's our reactions to others. You can either put fuel on the fire or you can put water on the fire, you know? We've got to be careful how we react, what we say, what we do. And sometimes we don't even have to say anything. It's by how we react, amen? How we respond. So let's focus on that this week. Let's focus on God. Help me to be, to help me to believe stronger. Forgive my doubting. Forgive my unbelief. Help us to believe. Help us to love greater. Show us your love, Lord, because I guarantee a lot of us out here don't know how to love. We need to learn how to love. How to love one another and how to love others. How to love like Christ. Teach us how to love like Christ. Amen? So, Father, my prayer today is, Lord God, that you would go before us, that you would help us to remember this sermon this week. Lord God, help us to be more like you. Change us more into your image as we surrender more of ourselves to you. Lord God, teach us how to love. Lord, increase our belief. Strengthen our beliefs. Lord, let nothing pull us away from you. Help us to get rid of any doubt. Forgive us for any doubt, Lord God. And help us to believe. And help us to love. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.